This is normally the time of our worship where things would look a little different. Where our worship goes from song and singing praise to giving praise. Giving praise of our tithes and offerings. Um, giving back a small portion of what the Lord has so generously provided for us. Now we're still trying to be COVID conscious and so I'm not going to pass a basket because I, I can tell by the way some of y'all sitting that you don't trust your neighbor yet and that's okay. That's okay. Maybe your neighbor ain't got a shot yet. It's okay. It's okay. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to remind you that on thirdstreetchurch.com you can, you can give, you can uh, give of your tithes and offerings on thirdstreetchurch.com. Um, if you had set up recurring giving starting in January, we had to switch platforms as a part uh, of our church transition. And so if you haven't uh, set that back up yet, let me say it to you now. Make sure you uh, go and check that out. You may have noticed uh, some extra money in your bank account. That's not from the stimulus check. That's from the tithes and offerings, not switching over to the new platform. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was also reminded this morning... As our worship team was in here early, our tech crew was in here, and so many, uh, a, a few of you volunteers were in here early. I forgot, like, I forgot everything that goes into making Sunday morning happen. Like, like for a lot of y'all, like, you come in and, like, things are set up, and there's coffee out there normally, and then we normally have donuts and all this kind of stuff. But, like, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and so for the next few weeks, as we welcome back huddles as, and as we kind of continue on this, on this rhythm of like, you're here some Sundays and then, and then some Sundays you're not, it would be amazing. It would be absolutely amazing that if on the Sundays that you're technically aren't here to, to, to gather to worship, if you would, if you would help us out by volunteering to help make Sunday morning happen. Um, here in a few weeks, we're going to bring back kids' classes. I know especially, uh, oh my goodness, like I'm looking at the babies that weren't here a year ago that are now here. It's so crazy. And all the kids that last time I seen them were this big, and now they don't talk to me anymore. And it's just crazy how many, uh, how many kids have grown up and how many kids are here. I know you as parents uh, are, are, are hoping that I'm, I'm almost done because you're holding on to your kid in your lap right now. Don't worry, April 11th, we're opening kids' classes back up, and it would be amazing if you guys would begin a rhythm of helping out in kids' classes, of helping out making sure that uh, we set up appropriately and timely, uh, making sure that we tear down after service. If there's any way that you're willing to help, that would be absolutely incredible. You can let us know that you're willing to help. Uh, contact-free uh, email info at thirdstreetchurch.com. Text us 330-961-1253. Or if you prefer that that face-to-face -face conversation, you can find uh, Scabby if you're interested in hospitality. Sorry, Abby if you're interested in hospitality. Um, or, uh, or, or, or myself or my wife if you're interested in any other part. Um, man, yeah, that's it. That's it. I think that's all the announcements. Are you guys ready to get into the word? Is that okay? All right, you guys were a little too emphatic. I'm going to not take that personally and say you're excited about the Word of God. All right, uh, would you guys pray with me? Father God, thank you. <laughs> thank you for holding us together. Thank you that though our world makes every effort possible to divide itself, thank you for holding our world together. 
Thank you for keeping us over this last season. Thank you for light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you that as we regather, our excitement and our joy of regathering is just a small, it's just a fraction of the joy that we will feel as you welcome us someday into glory. And Lord, we pray in this time that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that it is that you have to say. We thank you that your word is timeless and it is true. Lord, we thank you that even though for many of us it just appears to be words on a page, we thank you that your spirit is still active and able to make those things come to life. We want to feel that right now. In the presence of your son Jesus, we pray. Amen. I like Bluey too. Oh, that's right. There's no sound, huh? Wow. Hey, we're like basically starting over, so it's fine. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, well, you can stop that then. <laughs> Let's just jump right into it. It's like starting all over. Hey, if you, uh, if you haven't been tracking with us online, um, if you haven't been tracking with us online, you, you, you may not know that last week, uh, in the spirit of regathering, we started a brand new series. And this brand new series as is, uh, was so beautifully re relayed to us in a video we couldn't hear. the hills. Everybody say the hills. Sorry, I'm going to make you do that like 10 more times just because today, just because like I haven't been able to do that in so long. It's just so amazing. But it's called The Hills. And last week, uh, if you didn't check it out, oh my goodness, you need to go catch it on our website, on YouTube, or back on the podcast, Apple or Spotify, um, because KT so beautifully, beautifully told us, reminded us of the hill that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on. He reminded us that Jesus didn't just die for a dope story, that Jesus actually died for a purpose, that Jesus died taking on the weight of what our sin, the consequences that our sin has given. He took that on his body. He took that on his mind. He took that on his soul so that we don't have to. But now there is this expectation because of the resurrection of the dead that we now live in light of, inspired by the resurrection of the dead, which means we are called to action. And so what we wanted to do as we begin to get back together, what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure it was crystal clear, as if you could have forgotten 
the hills that this church stands to die on. I want to make it crystal clear that the banner above my head is not just there because we haven't rented a crane to take it down, but it actually stands for something. That as it applies to this church, it actually means something. And so in a, f- a-, a few weeks, one week at a time, we're going to go through the hills that this church feels compelled to die on. If you would, please join me in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be spending quite a bit of time there over the next few weeks as this is the letter that Paul wrote where a lot of our core convictions uh, uh, from where they arrive. This is the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. It's going to be, you know, like towards the back-ish. We're going to go to chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. If you don't have your physical Bibles, and your kid has your phone to keep them occupied and quiet, like mine does, then please feel free to look up at the screen, because we've got it for you. Can we go back to the previous slide just real quick? And then go ahead and hit it, hit, hit the scripture again. I just missed that effect. I missed that so much. This is Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to do it again. Hey! That's my wife, man, so I appreciate it. All right, we're going to start in verse 11. Will you read with me? It says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision What a horrible gang name. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. I'll explain all that in a minute. Remember, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's that time of year. That time of year where my, one of my favorite times of year, probably my favorite time of year, where you look for every reasonable excuse to cancel all of your meetings and try to use your sick days because March Madness is here. Okay, all right, I'm glad I got a few people with me. It's okay. 
It's okay to be with me on this. March Madness is here. This is the one time a year where all of a sudden you care about the winner of the Northeast Southwest, West of the Mississippi, but North of Kansas Conference. And who takes the crown home because that means that they'll inevitably get a bid. And I love watching these seemingly meaningless, meaningless conference tournaments to see all the teams get so excited about winning their athletic conference only to be squashed later on tonight when they realize that they're like a 16 or 15 seed at best and they got to go play like Michigan or Baylor or something. But for a moment in time, there is so much joy. I love it. Just the other day, I was watching the Horizon League Conference champion as Cleveland State University won the Horizon League Conference. And as their assistant coach, Drew Joyce, was cutting down the net, he screamed a phrase that took me back to one of the most glorious times in Northeast Ohio history. As Drew Joyce was cutting down the net, he screams to the cameras, Cleveland! This is for you! And it took me back to June 19th of 2016. A night where you ought remember where you were. Rachel and I were in downtown Cleveland amongst millions, no exaggeration, millions of Cavs fans, not even just people, honestly. It was an event. You had to be there. We were amidst people who were there to watch Game 7 of the NBA Finals as LeBron James led the Cleveland Cavaliers to the city's first championship in almost all of us except for maybe my dad's lifetimes. You're welcome. And as he held the trophy, put on the championship t-shirt, did this with his hat. He swings his head back and he yells, Cleveland, this is for you. And the people who gathered in the city flew out into the streets, jumping and screaming and shouting and crying and hugging out of sheer joy. And what is so crazy about that is that not a single person celebrating in the streets had anything to do with the outcome of that game. As a matter of fact, the 14 men who did have something to do with the outcome of the game were all the way in Oakland, California. Nobody in the street affected the outcome. Nobody on the street accomplished literally a thing that night. But we all screamed for joy, wearing the same jersey, in the same city, with the same colors, with the same name on the back of our jersey, not because of what we had done, but because of what had been won for us. Oh, you see where I'm going now, huh? The hill that we as a church choose to die on is the hill of unity. It's a hill of unity. That night, 
was the first and last time I saw Northeast Ohio so united. Just two years earlier, those same streets where there were tears of joy, there was tears of sorrow as Tamir Rice was murdered at the hands of the police. The same city, those same streets, same place where the GOP had the national convention earlier that same year where there were picketers and extremists on both sides of the street divided. A state that where you honestly don't know from day to day if it's going to be red or blue. So much division. But on that night, there was unity. What I want to talk to you today about is how, as a church, we will be dedicated, sold out to, die for, unity. It's going to surprise you, but I only got two points today, and then I'm out your way. Only two points. Two points Two points only. Let's tell you point number one. Point number one. We must accept the invitation extended by Christ to be united with God. See, the context of Paul's writing in the passage that we read comes in the midst of division. It comes in the midst of this of this cultural war that had gone on for a very long time. You've heard by now, I'm sure, of the tales of the Jews versus the Gentiles. It was the Jews who were once upon a time the chosen people of God, who were once upon a time by their sheer inheritance included in the promise of salvation. And then there were Gentiles which was literally anybody who was not Jewish. They were considered outsiders, and the Jews had built for themselves a world where anyone who did not look like them, anyone who did not have the same cultural practices as them, anyone who did not adhere to or say they adhered to the same system and structure was an outsider. And by this time, Christ had come, he had ministered, he had died, he had risen, he had empowered his believers by the Holy Spirit to go about and preach, to heal, to minister themselves. A community in Ephesus was significantly transformed because of the church's ministry, and yet tension still existed because there were Jews who were I would think of them more as cultural Christians. And there were Gentiles who were outsiders that had been radically transformed. We had the side that was boasting in favor and privilege. And then we had the side that was boasting of lived hardship and redemption. But what neither side could remember 
is what Paul reminds us all of in chapter 2, which is once upon a time, ain't none of y'all nothing. Once upon a time, you were all separated. Jews, don't you puff out your chest too much, because remember, though you had inheritance into heaven, bro, you blew that. And Gentiles, don't you get too proud either. Don't you forget that Jesus had to come to you for you to be included. They didn't remember that once upon a time they were all separated from God. That is, none of those things that they boast in actually allowed them to accomplish righteousness before God. I want to make clear this morning the scandal of the gospel. Like, I, I don't know if you catch how wild this is, that the scandal of the gospel is that we who are sinners are made right with he who has no sin. A long time ago, we were created to exist in the Garden of Eden where God walked. And we blew it. We blew it because the only thing that could separate us at that time was this one tiny little aspect of disobedience that we gave ourselves over to. And for generations after that, for generations, God fought hard to put his family back together. But for generations, we just got further and further away until the Lord decided he would settle it once and for all the only way it could be done, to sacrifice his own son, Jesus' blood, to seal the adoption. And while Jesus went to the cross with the weight of our consequences upon him, we got off free. We were given a new lease on life. We were given new life. We were made new. The scandal of the gospel is that even though we are busted and disgusted, even though we are not supposed to be included, even though it is impossible for us to accomplish or live up to the standard of God, he makes a way for us to be made right with him. That's wild. Somebody, even if it's just one person, should have felt that enough in their spirit to say amen. amen. <laughs> Tough today. We're rusty. That's wild. And for years we've heard this. We've heard that, that it is made possible for us to be made right with God through Christ. And for years, we, we, we say we want it. Some of us say we got it. But we live like hell. Like Jesus 
didn't go through hell to set us free from our chains. We stress day after day over the fine details of our lives like Christ doesn't have a plan and like his inspired writings no longer speak to our condition. We spend money day after day like Christ has not become our provider and delivered joy as a fruit of the Spirit. We lust Day after day, like satisfaction doesn't come in the form of Jesus' bloodshed and his body resurrected. We say we want it. Some of us say we got it. But in so many ways, we still live like we say, God, thank you for making me. But no thank you on telling me how to live my life. In as many ways as we claim it, in as many ways as we claim to have unity with God, when it's time to live it out, we tell them, nah, when the spirit that guarantees our unity offers even the least bit of correction. What is it? What is it that still causes that rift between you and God? Here's the thing. He already knows it's there. What is it that you're holding on to that doesn't quite allow there to be an open line of communication between you and the Father? What is it that you're holding on to that doesn't quite allow for the rest of your life to line up with what you read in the power of the Spirit? What is it? Point number two. Point number two. We must take down the walls of hostility to unite with one another. We must take down the walls of hostility to unite with one another. Church, say hostility. Say it again. Hostility is what Paul talks about in verses 14 through 18. He shows us that in spite of our own hostility, Jesus establishes peace, meaning Jesus establishes the possibility of harmonious friendship with God and with one another, but where? Church, say the church. Say here. Where's it been? Here. He establishes the possibility of harmony existing between people and God and people and people in the church and this is wild because as Paul writes this what people would remember is that the Jews on their big beautiful temple literally would write warnings on the outside of their walls to Gentiles to stay out 
that if the Gentiles would enter into these temple walls, they enter at the risk of their own death. So even the people claiming to have unity with God are literally building walls of separation to keep people out. On the cross, Jesus put to death hostility. That's what Paul tells us. He's telling us that all the things that separate us, they're now paid for. There's nothing left to fight over that has not been overcome. So the expectation then is for the church to be a picture of unity. It's for, it's for the church to be the example that people use in society as we practically kill each other on social media and then somebody inevitably asks the question, where can we get, where can we be together? Where can we, where can we exist and talk things out? Where can we be different but still be friends? The answer is supposed to be, according to the scripture, the church. This means the church comes together to cry over injustice. This means the church offers the prophetic vision to the community over broken systems and spirits of oppression. This means the church begins to worship together in their own way and their own tongue without the side eye of disapproval at the way somebody else prefers it. The church is supposed to be this example. Brothers and sisters, we may live in a post-Jim Crow era, but we have allowed the lasting effects of the sin of racism to continue to segregate us. My brother James just said it to me the other day. He said, we may have begun to take down Confederate flags, but I can't help you take down the Confederate flag that's on your heart. We may say that we are in support of systems of equality, but the church's spirit-filled presence has long been absent from their proper position of leading by example. We may say there is no hostility or separation between us and our neighbor, but I sure as heck see a lot more fences and walls than I do combined families at the dinner table. Friends, I prefer to picture it this way. The wood that we use for fences was taken down by cross, by Christ, to be built into the cross. That the stones we use to build walls between us and other people was rolled away by the resurrection of Jesus. 
even if it's not on issues of race, I guarantee in 2020 it was some form of politics. And maybe you're like me and you're tired of talking and discussing that. And so maybe we should talk about how you don't let other people in but so far. Because you don't trust them. Because you know that like you, they're a fallen person as well. And that even though they have sin, they can't handle your sin. And that while I hear the principle being taught at church, it just doesn't feel like the Lord could possibly use somebody like me. And as I watch television and read stuff on my phone, it doesn't seem likely that there's any utopian village emerging in the midst of our world in the name of Jesus. But friends... That is a lie. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to keep up those walls for your own protection. The enemy wants you to keep up those fences because what's yours is yours. That's from the devil. Jesus, I have to believe is sitting in glory watching this unfold. And thank God that he's Jesus and he's not me, because if it were me, I'd be like, then what I die for? If this is how y'all are going to act, then what did I die for? Thank God Jesus is Jesus, and I'm not. Church, I don't want to be those people. I want to welcome those people so that they may be transformed by the Spirit, the renewing of their minds and their hearts and the restoration of our relationship in the community. But I don't want to be the people that argue over worship preferences. I don't want to be the people that argue over what makes us different. I don't want to be the people that further hold up systems that have run our world outside these walls. I want to be the people that lead by example. I want to be the people that live out the vision we all saw in Cleveland on June 19th of 2016. But the difference is the jersey we wear does not say calves. This would be a great place for a really corny pun on like how our jerseys say church. Like that would be awesome right here. I want to be the people who live out a vision of screaming, of singing, of dancing, of crying together in the streets of our city, not because of anything we've accomplished, but because of what has been won for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you hold all things together. And that in the midst 
of what we feel and perceive as chaos. In the midst of what has resulted in our world from depravity, you offer promises of unity, promises of hope, that even though there is much we disagree on, that we may be joined together and experience the fruit of the Spirit as one body. Lord, we ask that you would convict our hearts of the ways that we have kept ourselves separate from you. And Lord, we ask as we, as we focus and concentrate and become a people who are dedicated to our unity and our oneness in Christ, that we act on the inevitable urge that your spirit will give us to be united with our neighbor. God, I pray that this conversation doesn't stop here, but that we begin to live a so beautiful vision that you allow us to see in pieces of a people together in Christ. And we pray these things by the power of the only name that makes this all possible, and that is Jesus. All who believe say, bless up.